I might pick up some a couple threads. So the point about earlier when he when you were nine nine years old and you were in school and you were in a class for advanced intelligent, you know, performers, and this Illuminati son was there. And uh, which means his IQ is high and he has telepathic abilities, probably. He was the and, smartest kid in the class by far. There you go. And so out of innocence, uh, you basically got him pissed off and he went to his dad and he said, blah, 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 blah. And so all this, rather than like a lot of people are brought in because of their DNA and ancestries tracked and they have certain abilities they want to hone and use. And it's a multi-generational. Your experience came out of just, oh my God, making an innocent mistake. And so his father wanted to punish you, the, you know, out of arrogance and whatever else is going on with them and, and public embarrassment because these guys are very elitist. A lot of them are hybrids and uh, work with, you know, certain ET groups and are kind of not the best and uh they're left as the middlemen and middle women here um so basically this whole thing started from that yes i was not groomed for the program so yeah most of the people most of the people that are taking these programs are groomed for their position i was not i was just labor and i i i've said it i'm speculated before that i believe that they're taking people for hard physical labor from the prisons they're using the technology to go into the prisons and take people that have been convicted of crimes and they're using them for slave labor to build out the infrastructure throughout the solar system and nearby stars. And I've said that, that, you know, it's basically slavery. It's perfectly legal. Uh, no person in the 13th amendment says that no person in the United States shall be made a slave unless convicted of a crime. So it is perfectly legal to do so. They don't say when there are no parameters, what crime, what level of crime, it doesn't matter. So I think that that's why the prisons are privatized and packed. We have the largest yes. prison population in the world. And I think that that's why. Um, and I was and it was my it was my experience that I was living with people that were uh, prisoners, you know, like the other slaves that I lived with on Sears Colony, something like 40,000 men were in my area. There was a barracks and they were. They were basically a prison population. It wasn't, they weren't the, they didn't, it's not that they did not abduct those guys from Harvard, you know, like they were, it was a prison type quality existence. And so that's how they justify it to themselves morally to do it. So I was thrown in unjustly. And just for that reason, I was just, these are people that had access to the, to the program. Interestingly, other researchers have told me that they've worked with people that had the same kind of thing, that they were punished that they did something that embarrassed somebody that, or, or made somebody angry or cost them money. And as a piece of revenge, they would induct, they would put them into these programs. So researchers have confirmed that other people have come forward and say the same thing. Mm, amazing. And then, then you, of course, then uh, that was the cause of them sending the, the reps and the grays to pick you up because they work together yeah. and all that. And then you went through all kinds of mind programming, horrific stuff. Yes, it was, it was trauma-based, so I was tortured. Yes. In fact. And they often try to kill you, bring you back, try to kill you, bring you back, try to kill you, bring you back. Uh, and to activate, they used to do this to see if there was any abilities hidden that would be activated. And so, is that correct so far? Yes, and in fact, I found a lot of evidence that the, uh, in 82, 83, they even have videos of bragging about we have ex they have videos where they say we've had excellent results in bringing children to near death they were high-fiving about it so there's a paper trail that coincides with my information yes exactly and um it's also why they love kids before seven uh because um from my understanding the younger you are you don't differentiate between reality and imagination and so you're able to activate more abilities especially if you have the ancestral uh, multi-generational genetic abilities activated and um, also you know like after seven it's a little harder for that to activate and then you also mentioned puberty so like the menopause time or you know 50s 40s and then also 13 it seems that uh, those abilities if you get them young which is why they get them young 
because those don't activate quite as easily. So it's very interesting. It's connected to hormones or something. And interestingly, I'll say this, that I found that with people I've worked with since then, there seems to be a common age among females that go in about 12. Like they get taken at a young age for a short time for some kind of pre, like a, like a pre-appointment. And then right around 12 years old is when they take, they tend to take females. Boys, they can take them younger ages and most usually later on, like uh, 17, 16 or 17, because they're doing a military service. So they get set, they get abducted several times prior for tr- either training or some kind of screening, you know what I mean? And then yeah. the full service, uh, the girls at 12, boys at 17, typically, you know, then- it's all over the map, but I'm saying like more often than not, that's what I hear. And that makes sense with the girls because that's when the period starts and they're working for sex slaves and Mm. also worse, which I won't get into. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's fascinating. Okay. So keep, so then you went through that and then after that you went to Peru. Oh yes. I noticed you had these abilities. They were testing you for abilities on the plane to predict to go into the future and predict if there any of their planes where they were selling uh, drugs would crash again. There were shipments, yes. If there was danger, exactly. Right. And they noticed, I thought this was fascinating. They noticed that uh, it wouldn't it wasn't working at some point, and they came to the deduction, which is very accurate for a lot of people now, that there was ELM, you know, MFs you know, interfering. And so they gave you a woven silver blanket of which I just gave a friend of mine <laughs> and that assisted you. And then you were able to continue, right? Yeah. The very first trip. So they were monthly plane, plane rides. And the very first one, they were telling me that I cost a lot of money and I better work or they'd feed me the piranhas. And I didn't, and it was gibberish. I, they put me under and nothing happened. It was, I spoke gibberish. And so rather than feed the piranhas immediately, you know, and I was a dead man walking. They didn't want to talk to me. Like they put me back in my room and that I thought I was, they were going to kill me any day. They called wherever, you know, whoever owned me or wherever they got me from, they called them and they said that it was probably the, probably the EM fields of the, um, the equipment of the airplane. And so they, they sent down a silver mesh blanket made out of silver and they wrapped me in it. The following month I went on the next trip and they wrapped me up in that blanket. And that time when I woke up, when I came to, the guy that had been questioning me, well, his eyes were about this big and he was just dumbfounded because he said that I spoke. He said that there were times when I spoke Spanish and I don't know Spanish to this day. And there were times when, uh, you know, it was it wasn't that time, but it was after that he spoke to his dead grandmother, came through and, and spoke to. Him. So I was I was channeling entities. You know, it was a technology and I was it was channeling, but it was like an industrial grade you know, psychic ability, psychic medium that they had for these, for this reason. So, but yeah, the silver mesh blanket. And then the, I've also found, so researching it, that a lot of the project gateway project center lane, I, I was in project, the project that I was in was funds funds off of, uh, you know, kind of scuffled to the side of project grill flame, which then morphed into project center lane, which then morphed into project gateway for the CIA. And this was uh, remote viewing. And uh, when you go back and research them, they had uh, EM booth. They had like a phone booth with a Faraday cage where they were putting people in to do remote viewing. So this is something that turned up after after I went on record with what I said. You know, I mean, information that I didn't know about until afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and maybe at this time, since we're talking about how, uh, the you know, you were able to channel entities and people on the other side who had crossed over since death isn't really real. Um, at this point, we should bring in what I think was amazing. And I don't want to give it away when this voice came in. When did that happen? It was when oh. they were torturing you. So this was the right. So at the end of the at the end of the programming, they put us into what they call they were to testing to see what we'd be best for, like if we qualified to do the psychic service. And what they did was so this was an Inyo Kern in '82. And Inyo Kern. Inyo Kern is an airport just west of China Lake, in Southern California, and that's where I was. I I identified the the buildings. So there's a d- diagram. So there's China Lake. So west of that, maybe uh, ten miles. Uh, okay. You know is in your current airfield and on that airfield is there were like portables 
the buildings are still there, but at the time that I were there, they were portables and I, they've since been knocked down and then replaced with like a garage. The buildings are still there. And um, before I go into what they did and during the torturing, I just want to remark on the buildings that I hire, I, I, I didn't hire, but a, a guy that's a very talented researcher, like a, like an internet, like a hacker, um, volunteered to help me. He said, he saw my videos. He was a fan. He said, he helped me out. And he got on, he got onto a database of every structure's tax assessment in the United States. So every single structure in the United States has a website. There's a website that has the tax assessment data. Wow. And he said for those, he said, now what buildings were they? And I, I circled them and I emailed them and he came back and he said, you know, what's funny is on this website, which is a government regulated site that has every structure in the United States because it has the data on what it's worth, those buildings don't exist. And he said, so I sent him a picture on Google Earth. Brad Brad Olson has since drove there and put me on a Skype call and was showing me pictures. So they oh, do exist. Cool. He He's found, awesome. yeah. Brad, yeah, Brad's been great. Um, he really grilled me when I met him in Vegas and he concluded, you know, he was he's a fan of, he's a, he supports my info. So I'm a fan of his. I think Brad's a great job. I like him but, too. But what he found was that those buildings are classified as a California special district. And just inside those buildings, local law enforcement doesn't have law, uh, jurisdiction. So even if they witness a crime inside the building, the law enforcement doesn't have the right to go in and arrest anybody inside those buildings. So there's another coincidence that, and I went on the record about those buildings in 2015, long before any of this turned up. This was just like a year and a half ago that, I, that he drug that up for me there's something like 3,000 sites in california that are classified special district like that and so if you were going to have an torturous uh trauma-based mind control program in a building that's the means that a program would make it perfectly legal it was actually legal for what they were doing so um but what they did was they put us holes they always figure out all the that was the loophole exactly so if they got caught there was a loophole exactly Mm -hmm. um what they did was they put an oxygen tent. We, they put me on a bed with an oxygen tent when they gave me like uh, EKGs to do to monitor brain activity. And they put an inert gas in the tent and suffocated me. And then when I got close to death, there was a belt, like literally like the bell, uh, belt, ding, you know, like one of those bells was set up, you know, crudely with the machine. So it knew that once I was close to death, you know, when, when I flatlined, when I began to flatline, the bell would ring. And it would pump air back in and I would come back to life. And it was doing that near death. And it, it, what happened is it happened over and over again for hours. And after so many times of it, I began to really like, I began to consciously like feel myself leaving my body. And when the bell would ring, the air would come, I would get jerked back into my body and feel the pain again, the actual, you know, the exhaustion from it all from no sleep. And what happened was, after a certain time, I, I cried for help on the other side. Like I was literally like leaving my body in, you know, the light and everything, living that experience. And I said, somebody help me up, up there. And a voice came through my body and said, hey, let this kid die. And the lights flickered around it. And they said, the nurse said, doctor, we've got one here. They came over and they tested it. They did it a couple more times. And they asked me questions. And then that was what they needed to, to verify that I was going to work for that program. And then they gave me oxygen and let me sleep. And uh, that was how it began. But it was like I spoke as an adult. I was 10 years old at the time. And I spoke to them, uh, you know, like, it, pardon my language. It was kind of like, hey, asshole, let this kid die. You know what I mean? It was, it was like I spoke with authority. And I was a child, so that was something. That was what they were after. And, uh, would you say that was your higher self, a guide, or what? What was your? I, I, it felt like it was me. Um, yeah, so, so it, you're it felt stronger. It felt like it was me, but you know, I cried for help. I was crying for help, and I could, nothing happened, and so I kind of did it myself. And I remember being very angry. I remember being outside of my body, very angry. I was very angry at the time. And that's what happened. Fascinating, isn't it? But then, of course, the bad news of that is they they realized that you, you could access. And now they're going to redirect you more into what? Psychic programs a little bit? Exactly. So uh, the, the following day, he called me into his office. He said, I didn't think you had it in you, but you qualify for Theta. And it went into remote viewing. 
uh, exercises. We had people from the Monroe Institute came and helped with the gateway process. And we had, they had a set of a cocktail of, I don't want to say drugs, but like, um, like, uh, uh, what am I, like supplements that we took <laughs> a cocktail of supplements that we took. They said it was very expensive and we had to take them. And then we get, they regulated us. Everything was scientific. They regulated our sleep. And we were doing remote viewing exercises after that point and then put under, you know, they were running, they were running the experiments on it. They tested us. And then I was sent to Seattle immediately after, and they, they ran it there and tested it. They, I was privately owned at that by whoever owned that house in Seattle. I don't publicly say who it was, no. but they tested it. And then I was shipped off to Peru because, you know, like they, they tested me a few times at, at that technique. And this, also, this also shows you that they all have infiltrators in there that are still coming and doing these programs, part of the programs at some point, are siphoning kids or siphoning people to down certain channels in every, in schools, in churches, everywhere. everywhere. They do, exactly. They do have to do tests to see kids that are going to be good at this. I did find that actually Robert Monroe himself did at one point have classified and that's public record that he was he was it's in the CIA. i got that on the cia declassified library.gov that uh, robert monroe did get funded and paid to come out and do work on experiments and was given top secret class classification so mm -hmm. that was another form of evidence like i said there's a mountain of evidence it's all circumstantial every time i look at something I, I i keep waiting for the shoe to drop to prove me wrong and i can just quit but it always it always doesn't prove me completely right but doesn't disprove it like it supports it. So this time and time again. I know it's frustrating, but it still allows free will. And most of the ones who say, uh, who give you a hard time have not done one ounce of research. You know, That's exactly and of course, right. part of the whole game of that is you keep people enslaved so they have to work and raise families and don't have time to do the research. I've done six hours a night for 43 years and chose not to get married or have kids so I could do that. You know? right. So, so it's like I totally respect people not having time, but enough, enough. And didn't you actually see, am I making this up? Uh, because when I was first told this was an enslaved planet, I was one of those that had a pretty good life, fortunately. And, um, I thought, oh, no way, you know, all this kind of thing. And and then the more I studied, I'm like, holy moly, you know, I, I kind of went from totally polarized to light to like, okay, merely time to wake up, you know, from that innocence to discernment. Okay, I've got to understand the whole game and discernment. Did, weren't you shown a picture from the reps or somebody that actually referred to Terra, which is the galactic name for Earth or Earth? with a chain around it, meaning it's one That's of right. their enslaved planets? On Ceres Colony, they did, uh, when the Earth always had a chain around it and representing that it was, they believed that they were in, fully in charge of everything here and uh, the the Deutsch, that it was a corporation that they basically owned. That, that you know, um, that the corporate relationship, like they didn't, they, their corp the Ceres Colony Corporation did not own the Earth, but that the Earth was under control and their jurisdiction um, and that, and that it was in fact, you know, in, in the cargo, when I worked later on, when I worked on a cargo ship, that was the relationship. We would just go down and tell, tell, we went to Diego Garcia, the Indian ocean and picked up cargo. We would just tell them what cargo we wanted and it would be there and we would come pick it up. And it was basically free of charge. We were just taking, you know what I mean? It's coming out of the black budget money dollars and being traded off world, whatever cargo it was, it didn't matter. Sometimes weapons, sometimes goods, um, you name it, raw materials, pharmaceuticals, everything. We would we would off-world it and trade it to other species for technology or other things that they needed. And the the world would pay the tab and get nothing for it. Yeah. So that so and yes, that's exactly night, right? Wouldn't you go in the middle of the night? It was, it was always at night. It was yeah. always at night. Yeah. Yeah. And that's basically what slavery is, is free labor, free goods. It's amazing. This is why people need to learn all this, wake up and say enough already. <laughs> this is like, yeah. The Reich, the, you know what I'm saying? The World War II Germans, that was their long-term plan. They openly stated that they were going to have slavery permanently in the society, that they were, it was going to be, you know, the same model as the Romans had. The Romans had slavery and the Ceres colony did have a very real, um, 
they did have a very real aspect of promising you the ability to earn your freedom the same way the Romans did. It was unattainable. Really, it was unattainable, but there was a pause. They said some every now and then somebody had to earn their freedom it's because it kept you chasing it. It kept you working and in line because you thought I'm going to earn my freedom one day and I'll be a hero. And um, so it was, it wasn't realistic, but it was something that they said. And the, the, third, the, whatever third Reich Germans and the Romans and on, on and on all, it was the, basically the same exact system. So. Well, controlled by the same, it's also very hierarchical pyramidal. So, you know, rather than circular, which I believe is the true design, like, you know, so yeah, it's, it's amazing. And folks, um, he mentioned, you know, that he was qualified for the theta when, as you know, there's four brain waves, but there's also a fifth one that's talked about called gamma and that, um, it's a range, but 40 Hertz is one of the things they look for in a brain. And, uh, one super soldier that Elena, um, talked to and he was killed a couple of days later and caused a lot of distress for Elena. He was brought into the program because he was able to make gamma waves at will. So that's, they probably had a very a big interest in you when you're like, he's at theta, right? That's exactly what they're looking for is people that are trainable in these techniques. And, uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't profound at it. You know what I mean? I was like the bare minimum. I was, I was not profound at it. There were, there were kids, there were a couple of kids in the class that were profound that had a great deal of accuracy. And whenever they did any of the remote viewing or, you know, any of the exercises we did, they were very accurate. They were, they were very good at it. So those are the kids they look for. We have, we're starting to see them. I didn't know until I went public, uh, I got contacted by people that were professional psychics. And I go, okay, you know, I didn't want to say, I didn't want to doubt it or anything. So I said, okay. And I went along, but after I met some and, and hung out with them and actually see what they can do with some of their psychic abilities, I was, I was, I always believed in it, but not on that level that it really is, is that some, there are some people that are very profoundly gifted in extrasensory perception yes. that you know, there are everyday people, but they can't speak about it publicly for the same reason that, you know what I mean? People skeptic are skeptical about UFOs because we're programmed to laugh at it and so everybody's programmed to not believe in it but there it is a very real thing it is a very real talent everybody can hone it has some some um, amount of it but um some people are just absolutely gifted the same way that people are gifted at sports absolutely and uh but it's also you know the peer pressure even though that's understandable but just like whatever uh um it's understandable for survival but also it serves in a bizarre way because as people keep it to themselves, and in many cases that might've saved their life because Absolutely. everything, taking blood, monitoring your DNA since birth, all that is tracked. And I get, I've been asked many times, well, how do I protect my child against what happened to you? Uh -huh. and there's really not a surefire. Well, yeah, well, you know what I mean? Like there's, yeah. you gotta be concerned when you hear what happened to me at a young age. And there's really no foolproof way, but I always say, you know, teach your children to say no. Like I was tricked into giving consent. Teach your children to say no regularly, to be able to say no to people. And, and you know what I mean? Like in a strange environment to immediately say no. And, I, you know. I do not comply. You do not have my permission. And I revoke all agreements through time I, and space, you know? I don't recommend it because it's something that's not for everybody. Certainly some people could use the technique, but I say, you know what I mean? Like tell your kids not to be stellar on the exams either in the early age, you know, they're looking for that outstanding kid. And so it may not work in their favor. Like how often does it matter nowadays? Like college really has fallen to the wayside of what it used to be. The value of college is certainly not what it used to be. And so, you know what I mean? Knocking the, knocking the SATs out of the park may, may be detrimental at this point. So I hate to even say that. I don't want to speak against it. You know what I'm saying? Like I hate to yeah. say that, but that is one way to avoid these kind of things. And if people have it, a, a history of trauma with, around um, uh -huh. ufology or some kind of, you know, inner, you know, and aspects of weirdness, I call it weirdness. Yeah. If somebody has that, then that's something that they may, they may give actual uh, consideration to. Not to mention that science uh, that is taught in school and most stuff that's taught in school is over a almost a hundred years behind time and you know, not even accurate. So yeah, 
I mean, some more and more homeschooling, they're going to Rudolf Steiner schools and stuff, but all that takes more time. And uh, as long as we're still playing the game where we have to, you know, have money to work, it's, it's just a very interesting thing. But I see that all imploding on itself. It's going to implode on itself more and more and more and more. The so, thing is, uh, you know, I think people are, and I don't want to sound like some radical, but I think many of the mechanisms of the everyday of the machinery of government are going to have to return to people are going to have to do it themselves. A lot of the things, you know what I mean? The, yeah. Because we're seeing yeah. that it's not our government. It's an external force that's controlling our government with money and writing. You know what I mean? Like it's detrimental. Like school isn't what it used to be. And the, my children got, go to a They're learning things in school that make no sense from what I learned. And it was the same with my parents that I can't believe what they're teaching you nowadays. We used to learn so much more about the United States history. And so school has definitely been weaponized. Oh yeah. Everything. And they hide archeology span and they hide proof of stuff. It's like, you know, it's, it's just ridiculous at this point. And uh, yep. So keep, keep trucking on. So, um, okay. So we left off where you're in Seattle and in Seattle was horrific without naming names, but it was absolutely horrific for you because most people don't know that Seattle is a base for this stuff. <laughs> it is. It's, it tends to be a hot spot for this culture. So for the yes. older culture that I say is like, it, it's probably a lot of people say that there's like a vortex there that, you know, that like the world, the world has areas that are more interject than others. Like, I don't know if that's the case, but Seattle is definitely jam packed with people of this culture. And we're seeing many billionaires. There's a lot of lot of uh, aggregation of power in that area, uh, especially in aerospace and in um, you know in industry. There's a lot of people, very powerful people there, and there are people that are, like myself that have come forward that have witnessed uh, the Satanism. Yeah, that have it, it happened to me in Seattle. I was in Seattle. So and then the trafficking. And then yet they also um, you would be. Uh, Stanley Kubrick, Kubrick, if I'm remembering this right, did two movies, Eyes Wide Shut, which is totally accurate, and mm-hmm. uh, Clockwork Orange, which had aspects of it, and then he was taken out. So yeah. ba- basically in Seattle, this house that was a mansion and with your owner who was female and her husband was off and about a lot, you would occa- they would occasionally have these horrific parties. Yes. And the parties involved... You would have to, you would stay in your rooms during the day and then you would be brought out on the They were fundraisers for the local politics. At the time, they were Republican Party fundraisers. There were um, people from Washington came there, uh, local, they were for, they were fundraisers for local, like the mayor of Seattle, you know what I mean? They were, they were for the political party. And I'm not throwing one, one party under the bus. These are people that are inside. But during the day, they would have a picnic party, you know, on the property. It was a very big property. And after the public left, they had a few hundred people that stayed that were, you know, part of the culture. A different party would ensue where they had open sex, sexuality and drugs. And they had their own uh, recording. This is another. um, There are a few corroborating things that corroborated my story, especially early on. It was the, the things that I witnessed there that checked out that uh gave that enabled other researchers to keep working with me but the music i heard the music and i knew the song so later on when i got back and i lived my life in the 80s in 86 85 and 86 i heard the same songs again i thought they were old songs because they were old for me but they had just come out so but they had their own playlist and they had things like um a guy would come over you know the pa in between songs and go do as you wish this is the sum of the law and you know like they had their mix like a dj mix and it was like uh, satanic undertones that they had. But we were used as a sex service. I, I lived there with myself for a couple of years with usually six or seven boys. And they had another house where they kept the girls and the girls were on stage. And we were basically, you know, an attraction at the party for them. So that went on and we had to take pills every day and they changed the formula. And so I got allergic to it. And that's how they decided to sell me off to the military. I believe I was about 16. At the, they didn't celebrate my birthday. But I believe I was about 16 at the time when, when I finally got out of there. Yeah, because they love to keep people skinny and on drugs. That's exactly right. And they, yeah, 
partially we had, starved we, and on drugs. We were starving. We had we barely had food, and we were starving, and we were abused badly during these. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, like the like for days afterwards, we we were beaten, and so we for days afterwards we would lay around. They we got the leftovers from the party, so the following day we ate. You know, we got to eat good, but the rest of the time we had very. You know, one egg, one piece of toast, one little salad, one brick of tofu. That was all our food we had. They kept us skinny. And with with just simply saying, these politicians, these people uh, would be given permission with all you, with you boys, change and, the lawn, to and, do anything they want sexually, and et cetera. So just saying. And, unbeknownst to them we were aware they told us to point in a certain direction unbeknownst to them they were being filmed so there were a lot of people that were being filmed so yes exactly exactly this is the naivete of the human race and mammals this wouldn't be they go oh i can't possibly all that be going on and i'm like you don't think like a reptilian or (laughs) you gotta think you got to think like a predator and predators are like, how do we keep everybody obeying us and doing what we do? All we have to do, if you're, you have a family is we walk up and we go, we're, we're going to slay your kids in front of your face. If you ever talk, mm. you know, That's right. and most people that have kids go, no way. That's how it happens. Well, well and they film you. Well, <laughs> the, the, the psyche that goes into politics are people that wouldn't even care if you slayed their kids. Some people are very, you know what I mean? The psychopath mind. But if you tell those people, like, look, we've got pictures of you. Now you're going to be in jail for a pedophilia. They're going to do whatever they say. They don't care. And they're, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're going to, they're going to continue. Because of their ego and their, right. their, their hunger for power. Yeah. Okay. So, whoa. And also, I remember one early on that Illuminati guy or said to you, um, well, do you believe in God? And you said, yes. And you were, they said, oh, well, we're going to knock that out of you so that was the the very first day of the program like like the very very first day they asked me what if i remembered anything he was giving me a medical exam do you remember your mom no i had no memory do you remember your dad no i don't remember do you believe in god i said yes he said well we'll take care of that because they they programmed atheism on us and they pushed atheism because they don't want you to if you're ever in this instance where you've got to pull a trigger for instance they don't want you to empathize with another be a living thing they want you to believe that there's no there's no afterlife there's none of that that was a reoccurring thing even in series colony they pushed atheism on most of the populace when really the commanding elite there i was aware of had their own form of religion where they did believe in a creator god they did they did worship but it was a it was a restricted like a like an old ancient religion oh yeah babylonian and past yeah um Oh, what was I going to say? Oh, a couple of people I interviewed that were involved in the Knockwolf and Super Soldier program and MedBeds, different things, and then kind of broke free because, folks, most of these guys are assets and they're sold to the highest bidder also. Oh, now you're going to go here. Okay, now you're going to go to this corporation. Now you're going to do this, right? But That's any, exactly right. But uh, what, um, gosh, what, what, what was just in my mind? Um, oh, oh. This was important. So uh, the Nakwaf, and I just call them the Nakwaf group, um, they uh, were told growing up, and there's multi-generations that have been grown up on ships, on planets. They were told that Earth was destroyed and didn't exist. That's right. And people on series, the populace on series were told that as well. So there was a certain level. It was an urban legend. That earth was still alive that st- was still populated and they put they had doubt about it and people were not allowed to talk about it the same way we're seeing subjects today being suppressed it was the same thing there but like very uh very much so but they told people there was no earth to to worry about going back to exactly so that makes you hopeless that makes you give up you know all that stuff yeah so um so let's move on to the interaction with the antids because i think that's fascinating okay is that, is that kind of linear? Are we going kind of linear? So, yeah. So after I was sold off from Seattle, I went to uh, the moon, the backside of the moon to a base there and was another round of trauma based, not really traumatic though. It was less traumatic, but like mind programming. And it was against to a race fight or flight response. And then I was a support soldier. They tested us on in an arena in one of the bases back of the moon against a giant insect and it worked. And so they shipped us off to Mars and, 
it was a flight to Mars on a larger craft. And then I landed and there was an underground city. Is that this one? Aries Prime? Well, all that was underground. So everything was underground. There was a huge dome that was underground that was, you could see through, but you could see dirt on the other side of it. And they had, it was looked like a mall. It was a very modern place. And uh, I was quickly shipped off to a forward base that looked more like a, like a school on the inside or like a government facility. And I was there for a matter of months and we were, we did combat missions basically just hiking out into the desert, uh, you know, under the surface. And then we were locating insectoids and they, they got engaged a few times and we got engaged and there were, there were losses. There was a heavy, like a dust storm and we got separated from the soldiers that had uh, given us support fire. We got separated from them and the bugs engaged us, the insectoids, and there were several different kinds. That's a picture that I had an artist do, artofcon.com. And he, of course, that's what they looked at. The, the rear end of it looked different, a little smaller, but the front of it, that's basically what he looked like. And um, I had been wounded and he walked up on me and interacted with me, I guess, psychically. And uh, it scanned me to know what it wanted to know what we were because we were something new on the battlefield, a new type of, uh, you know, unit on the battlefield. So it came to scan me and figure out what we were. And at the end of it all, he said, you know, this isn't you kind of thing. Like he knew that I wasn't a, a stone cold soldier and it let me live. And then the soldiers came uh, a few minutes later, those, the bugs took off. And the soldiers came a few minutes later and carried me back to base. And I woke up the next day healed. I had lost an arm. They they had bit off an arm and, and, and one foot under my ankle uh, was severed. And the next morning I woke up in a hospital bed with my arm and my ankle back. And I don't know how it happened. Med beds. I'm telling you med beds. <laughs> I know, some, I know yeah, you were some. conscious during it, but med beds can do that easily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me backtrack a little bit, uh, cause I know we're getting, we've gone quite a long time here and appreciate your generosity. Thank you so much, Tony. Cause I know it's not easy when you repeat these stories, it's probably like you li- relive them, you know, it's-, it's a bit of that, but I think I've gotten good at it. I've done so many, so many of these now, and, um, you know, over half of them been deleted. So that's why uh, yeah. we created the Patreon channel. And I, I still do them because I thank God the book is out now because it's harder to delete the book when it's in somebody's hand. Right. But uh, I think this is very important information because this is what goes on and has been going on. Yeah. And and people need to be aware of it. And it dovetails, you know, Randy Kramer on Mars fighting antids. It dovetails, you know, Mark Richards, who I've had multiple interviews with early on and he talked about antids. And so, you know, it, antids is, is kind of the name for this character for the most part. But um, let's backtrack just a smidgen. So um, basically the job you had there was to be suicide mission. That's right. And, so and we, bait we, and bait. So explain we, that to people. We were a we were trained to suicide in combat. So to fight or flight response. They just erased the the flight response. And we were given, we were given certain kinds of weaponry And our suit. We were, so the soldiers we went out with were in a great deal of camouflage, like a very advanced armored camouflage suit, environmental suit that they had. And we were in a bright white rubber, rubbery suit. It was very comfortable. It's literally the most comfortable thing I've ever worn, but it was white on the Martian landscape. So we stood out and they put three of us at a time and send us to walk. And then they would be up on a hill walking alongside of us, you know, a mile away and cover us. So that that was the plan. It was a bounding maneuver. And there was lighter gravity. So you walked slowly. But when we ran, um, you had to, you didn't run. You, you eventually, it, you started hopping. Um, but we just slowly walked out, walked in the gravity. It wasn't, it wasn't bad until you were in a hurry. And, uh, but what happened was the insectoids adapted to the strategy much faster than they were supposed to. They were predicted to, they were predicted to adapt, but they did it much quicker than what they were expected to. So they canceled the program. So what, what happened is, do you, do you not want to talk about it? How do you feel about? No, go ahead. Uh, okay. In terms of, so you were sent out the two soldiers, right? And you were sent out as bait to attract the antids and the spiders, 
that were mm -hmm. part of their group to uh, as they come attack you as bait, the soldiers are supposed to take them out. That's right. And okay. on the, so on the first two missions, we, there were, we did other missions during the day. And, you know, we, we, were in, we were in a rotation. So there were, I believe, 12 of us and three would go out. And, and then the next day, three different guys would go out and we rotated. So it was, you know, it would be a week before I went out again. Um, this particular mission, there were two, two sets of three and we got split up. They gave us, they gave us, I don't know what it was, it was a navigation, um, experiment, an experiment, but it was a different route. And three of us were told to go and stay within range of the soldiers that were on the hillside on a, on the side of a mountain. And then the other three of us were told, given a map to go the other way, a different way. And we argued over it and we're split up. And what happened was we got out of range of where the soldiers could cover us. And that's when the bugs, you know, uh, they wanted to test and see how, how, what, I guess what their aptitude was. And if they knew where the soldiers were, however, they did it, whatever the program was trying to do, um, we were kind of put on a, we were kind of bait on a hook and, and we took losses because of that. And the other thing, I survived it, but um, uh, there were two others that didn't. So Right. We, we, we took losses. They couldn't be reconstructed on the med beds because there was two, they were in pieces. Yeah, exactly. They were, yeah, they, yeah. they had been dead for a long time. We had, yeah. um, we had auto tourniquet devices that were, you know, the, the, that was a common injury to have a limb bit off by some of the larger insects. So they had tourniquets available, auto tourniquets. The soldiers had them in their armor. Uh, Randy Kramer told me about that. And I imagined was was real makes perfect sense and we had like one per person we had an auto tourniquet so it was like a cigarette pack and you could pull the band out and then press a button and it would tourniquet the arm and uh i used mine and i took i took another one off a dead body and put it on my foot and that's what saved me you know i'd lost a lot of blood and that's why i yeah. uh lost consciousness when we got back so you heard you just saw all this dust and you heard these behind you these major, you know, whatever, and they were on you immediately. And there's these smaller spiders and there are, there's authentic uh, photographs found on Google of uh, these spiders, by the way. Uh, really? Yeah. Yes. One's, one's backed under a cave a little bit. Mm -hmm. And um, so there's spiders, which are a big issue to fight because they're a lot smarter than you think. And then uh, so they went ahead and they pretty much chomped off everybody because they have these big pinchers and um, and you kind of lost. So so you had fallen. And what happened is one of the head honchos, I guess you could call him the Antid commander, who was different than the spiders. He came forward and he had the two antennas at the top of his head. And this is right. one of the ways that they can access your memories. That's and, right. so, and, and it or he was relating also telepathically to his superior in a base far away. He was describing me to something else that was also there that I had no idea what it was, but he was like, speak. So what happened was we were engaged. I was the last one behind. Like there were three of us. When we began running. We began hopping. And I was the last one. So I was engaged. I got one shot off and I had my arm bit off. And a spider stood on me and pinned me to the ground. And over the over, I saw a bunch of little smaller beetle liking uh, ones that went over the dune and killed the other two men that we were, that I was with. I begged it for my life. It held me there. And then the mantid walked up. And as it got closer to me, you could, I could feel it. I, I don't know how to, other to explain it, but you could feel it. And when it got close to me, the, its antennas were moving uh, randomly. And when it got close to me, it, they both went and pointed at me. And I went into a complete dream state with it. I, I, I didn't feel any of the pain of my arm. And it began to show me areas. It, it, it showed me that it, all of a sudden I was standing back in the base that I just came from. There was nobody else there, but I was inside the base. And it was telling, you know, and then it was back. It showed Seattle. It showed the moon. We were rooms and back in Seattle, I was in the house in Seattle. And then, back to Inyo Kern into the, into the room where the, it went and it was telling something else about it. And it eventually showed me my house that I was abducted from in Michigan that I had no memory of. I had no idea where, where that was. He said, this is who you are. This is what you are. 
And then I woke up, I felt the pain come back and I woke up and it let me live. And cause I was begging it for my life the whole time. Please don't kill me. I don't want to die. And, um, but it why, let me live. Why did it let you live? I want you to tell well, me. Because it had determined that I wasn't there in a, as a, in my, I guess my life's purpose was I wasn't a warrior. I wasn't a killer. It had determined that I wasn't going to be a threat to it. And it let me go because he said my, pur- I had a different purpose and my purpose was love oriented. And, um, so that's, it, that's key, Tony. It Your didn't purpose. determine that the other thing that the other thing that it was talking to had determined that it, like it the was superior. Like, yeah. And if, playing. if I would have been, you know, because some people are born to be fighters and, yeah. you know, and if I would have been that, I believe it would have killed me on the spot. Yeah. So that you asked for help. And, and this is important to know the, and, and of course your military probably didn't realize how incredibly advanced and intelligent these beings are. I think they did, but they, they had, they had things in the past, you know what I mean? Like they had an ongoing study of them. And so they didn't expect them to behave the way that they did. So they did know that they were intelligent, but they, again, they were, the military tends to think a lot more bluntly, you know, yeah. They don't care about how big, deep you can think. It's how good you do kind of thing. Yeah. So I think that it was all performance-based when they thought about how, when they assessed them. Yeah. Rather than how good they pick up strategies and different things, not to mention read your minds. And it's important folks that, you know, these people were all, these beings are all protecting different territories. Okay. On the moon and Mars too, according to Randy. And um, they're not all bad. <laughs> You know, it's important to know that we're, you know, we have mantids we work with and higher levels and all of that. And they have amazing capacities. So this one was a mantid rather than an antid. The one that the mantid, it looked yeah. just like that picture that you held up. Oh, okay. That. okay. It looked a lot like that. So um, I don't forget what I was going to say that, that I, I think that they had went prior and asked them. They had made communication with the insectoids and said, can we access this area? We need to research this area. And it's a hard no that they wouldn't budge uh-huh. on it. So they, had, so they had to find another way to get in to access territory that the insectoids were indigenous in because for whatever reason, we also, in our first hike, we found ruins. There were ruins that were millions of years old. They were, they were rock formations that somebody had come along and stacked rocks up. And we were told that the archaeologists had already been there and studied it. And, but there were rock formations that somebody, you know, like people do at the beach, how they stack rocks. These were very tall, 20, 30 foot tall columns that they had rocks were stacked up. So we had found ruins of something that was there before. So there was, there was resource. There are things that there on Mars that are, um, you know, there's obviously a history there. There's life there. On every, every planet, every place, every, you know. It's, it's like underground. We, we found open caverns in previous cities and stuff. And then we just built on that, you know? Well, I'm really hoping that that's the plan for disclosure, that when yes. we start going to the moon, the manned missions to the moon and perhaps Mars very soon, mm-hmm. that they're going to go there and find ruins. And that will qualify us to, to share and be contacted by Intel. Like, I think it'll be quick. Like disclosure isn't going to be just life out there with bacteria. It'll be intelligent life. And oh, now that you found us, here we are. Now we can talk to you, kind of thing. That's my plan. That's my hope. Well, there's nothing that pisses those groups off more when you don't show respect and try and push the envelope. And Randy was saying you had these occasional skirmishes several times a week, but he was eventually able to befriend one telepathically. And um, it's like when they say no, they mean no. I've studied multiple species and all their agendas and all their cultures and all their things. And it's just like having a cat in your home that actually has part reptilian, right? It has the four things that reptiles do. It, it breathes, you know, it smells through its tongue and it, it loves torturing helpless little mammals and its high pupils are that. And, you know, it has the same thing, but everyone loves, but we love it. Why? Because we accept them for what they are. And that's where we need to go with appropriate boundaries. That's right. That's Don't what disclosure is going to be. With us, you know? Well, disclosure is going to be that we are going to post disclosure when we begin to interact at some point, it may be soon. It may be a long time. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But at some point we are going to interact with other species in the cosmos because they're everywhere and, and they're accessible. 
they're highly accessible. But well, I mean on a public level. I mean oh, publicly. Yeah. Well, and, isn't there 360 species that are walking around on the sidewalk that look a lot like us? Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah. what I'm saying is what, saying what I'm saying is we have we have a we have a defined way of behavior. Yes. And we have etiquette, we have our own set of manners. And we are going to have to interact with entire species of humans, even, and other species that are very smart. They have their own set of manners that we don't necessarily, we aren't necessarily going to approve of. And we're going to have to get rid of the stigma that we punish people or that, you know what I'm saying? We're better. We're going to have to be very much more open-minded than we currently are. And we're already seeing it in the kids. The kids nowadays are very much more open-minded than we were allowed to be or, or led to be. And it's a good thing. So we're going to see that happen and it's going to get even better. It so. is, Tony. I'm excited. Well, they know it takes four generations to change a paradigm. And this mm-hmm. whole Envoy program and everything else has been over multiple generations. And then, of course, the young kids, as you know, are raised on all these Star Wars, Star yeah. Trek, all those were different levels of disclosure because most of those is- authors were insiders, right? <laughs> so so we are going to do this. And I so, so appreciate you coming forward because I know... I know you're used to it, but I still know it brings up each time you share it. And I hope that people learn to say no in a nonviolent way and mean it and wake up (laughs) and And hold your ground and be expansive because we have an amazing experience. And you also are very right, as you know, is that every species has a protocol. So if you're respectful and if you know their protocol, you know, and the biggest thing, oh my God, you, we have to finish by you telling this amazing story. Are you too worn out? Are you too worn no, out? No, I'm good. I'm good to go all over. Okay. Yeah. When you started moving from slave status to earning extra points through self-sacrificial missions, there is one spectacular one, I mean, unbelievable one, where you were going up the sides of one of the tallest buildings in Chicago. So that was actually before, um, so so we're fast forwarding it. So after the program was canceled on Mars, I was sent back to a large city, Aries Prime, probably. And re, re, I, they gave me aptitude tests to see what I'd be good for. And then retrained to do ship uh, rip maintenance, basically spaceship maintenance. And I was sold off to the Ceres Colony Corporation at that point. So I was there for a couple months being trained and going through that, who knows, uh, a few, I kind of lost track of time. And then I was shipped off and then went to series colony behind me. And when I got there, it was immediately found that it was um, like a world war II German facility and military, very heavily militarized. And I was in a prison type situation and whatever. I don't want to get into like every little detail of it. That's why the book is, that's why the book is so valuable these days. It's so easy to say, I never had it before where I could say, just read the book. Everything's in there. Yes. Um, But I was working on a ship for many years and I did maintenance on the ship, but I didn't even know if it was moving or if it was on what was going on. And I didn't look out the window. It was a smaller ship and it was a very miserable experience Um, for those years. I was, I was programmed to not be able to kill myself. And I wanted to die. You know what I mean? Like suicide was the only way out and I didn't know it. So I volunteered. They asked me one day if I wanted to volunteer for dangerous and dangerous missions in the, in the hopes of being promoted more quickly. And so I did. And one of the missions was they took us to the moon. We went to the moon and we went to a a more classified lower level of, of the moon base. So there are different hangars at different levels in depths inside the moon. So you'd fly in a crater and then there's a hangar and there you could keep flying and go down. And those were highly classified. We went to one of the lower ones and I was taken into a room, a portal room. And they gave, they briefed us and it was a mission to go and replace what they said was Quicksilver, which was Mercury. And there, there was an ET that was on living in the top floor of one of the skyscrapers in Chicago that was living in that. It was a, being that lived in lighter gravity, less than one G of the earth. So it had an anti-grav system that was disguised as an air conditioning unit on top of the building. So, you know, on the very top of the building, there was an air conditioner. There was actually an anti-grav unit and the rooms under it, it lived in lighter gravity and conducted its business, whatever it was doing. So the air conditioner 
that is an, on all top a lot of buildings in Chicago was used as a disguise for an anti-gravity machine inside it. Yes. Okay. okay. Exactly. That's exactly awesome. right. Okay. It had malfunctioned and leaked out mercury. Mercury was one of the key components. They called it Quicksilver. Yeah. And so we portaled down, but they they were experimenting with several technologies in the same mission. And so they made us portal into a lower uh, parapet area, like a like in a stairwell. And we wore harnesses that made us like 60% lighter than what we were. We had backpacks with canisters of mercury and we and electric cups. They were electric. They didn't suction cup. They were flat, but they were electrically powered with batteries and they would stick to the glass. And it was at night when the, when the offices were closed and we scaled up the side of the building. And when we got up to the top, we went through the repair. They briefed us. One of us was way proficient and we refilled it. It was basically a, a, lame duck mission like we didn't even need one guy could have did it and it could have been in and out in 15 minutes but they made us all go so four uh five of us went and um we scaled up the top and then when we were done we were told to face the moon but another a being actually came out and it was wearing a suit that gave off a gas and when it got close to us you could see that even on its face its mask it was shooting out little gases like a, like little tiny streams of gas all over it. And it gave it the effect of invisibility. So whatever, like it was like the gas, like inside the suit, it was, it had a projector and the gas was a screen that the projector was projecting on and showing the back of it. So it was invisible to the naked eye. And when you got close, you could see the gas. I mean, you could see the image of behind it. So I couldn't tell what it was and I could see its eye. And it was a large reptilian, like a yellow reptilian eye. Like huge. Yes. Yes. Very big. Two inches, two and a half inches big of, of eyeball. And it came down to us and it commandeered us uh, mentally. So it had the ability to make us paralyzed. I wanted to vomit and pee and poop all at the same time. And I felt very sick immediately when it, when it contacted us and it was, it said it was going to murder one of us that um, which one was it going to be today? Kind of thing. It's going to eat. (laughs) <laughs> and it made us all stand at attention and it came down and inspected us. And I wanted to, I was hoping that it would, this was my way out. I was kind of hoping that it would get me. And I wasn't afraid as I should have been because I, I did not fear for my life. I in fact wanted to lose my life at that time. And so it passed right by me and it didn't do anything. And at the minute I said, no, none of you are worth it. And then I guess one of us um, at the end was thinking that it was smelled, that it smelled bad. And he said, you don't like the way I smell. I don't like the way you smell either. And we all immediately, all of us peed our pants. Like it made us do that. It had, it had that kind of control over us. And he said, there, that's better. And he walked and he went away and you could see his eye. I could see his eye and he walked away and then he released us. We all stood facing the moon. We could see the moon and we stood facing it and a portal opened and we walked into it and went back to the base on the moon. Yeah. The, the punchline, I guess, is that when I got back, I thought they'd give me a change of pants but I had to wear them for the rest of the day. I went back to work on the ship and it was another five or six hours before we went back to base and everything dried. But like, um, you know, I didn't get any promotion over it. It went into my record that I volunteered for that mission, but I didn't get another mission for months and months after that. So. I think you were sent up also. The reason why they take four or five is in case you weren't able to handle no fear. They'll eat you. That's right. We were, we were an offering. That's right. Yeah. We, we were expendable and yeah. we were an offering for, for that thing. Right. Be- because as um, us researchers know, what they are addicted to is fear, which is why every all the teachers and all of us are always saying, you know, move through your fear. You're infinite and immortal, you know, blah, blah. But it's, of course, hor- hard to do if you have a 30 foot creature in front of you. <laughs> That has dragon essence to it. So <laughs> and it's trying to make you afraid. That's yeah, right. it's trying to make you afraid. And because you guys, I think it probably was a partial training to see if your training as no fear actually well, worked too. The other the other thing was I could never figure out why it made us scale the building and and it wasn't until I I, I got interviewed by uh, Jay Widener at Gaia mm-hmm. and in between takes he said, No, that was to make you have adrenaline. Yes. So that's what he wanted. He wanted to eat you. Exactly. And that was to stir up adrenaline. And you guys, that's why you did all that. And I, I, it dawned on me. I, I never really put that together. So exactly. it makes, it makes sense. It's just totally. The, right. It's totally. My, 
my thinking is this is that the memories that I have of Earth that have checked out that I like in Seattle when I went there, those memories were freakishly accurate. It was accurate. So if those memories were accurate, then I have to trust the other memories too of space and of what happened. And so that's why I share them. So hopefully, you know what I mean? Like it'll pan out for some other researcher in the future. Yeah. Um, I'm just hoping to build evidence on it, but I put it all. And again, it's again, it's all in the book. Yeah. And you know what, just um, where can people go and find out, you know, your great book that we, that we put up on Amazon. Uh, here it is again. Uh, also, you put together the three categories of program experiences to help people understand themselves better. So, well, and to help me understand them, mm-hmm. you know, with what's going on. So, I'll just say this: that there's so there's TonyRodrigues.com, Rodrigues.com, and um, that has links to my Patreon channel, my book link, and courses. And as well, you can contact me there, but I offer memory courses for people that have fragmented memories. It was a technique I learned while I was filling in my memories, you know, and I, like, I remembered these things, you know, seeing a being on in Chicago, but I didn't remember, you know, going to the bathroom. So I, I, I had exercises and I did get the more memories back and fill out memories. And so this is so many people contacted me with it. I couldn't keep up. And there's, so there's a teachable course that's like 40 bucks I put on there and I get a lot of great feedback from people that feel they've been involved. That's on the website. The Patreon channel is on the website where I interview other people and I have a weekly show on there with different tiers. People do live questions and answers. And there's actually a group like a group psychic meditation uh, thing that I just recently started because of what we're using, what I've learned and with my co-host Jackie Kenner, who's very gifted psychically. She's a psychic medium professionally. Um, that is there. And then the link to the Amazon, the link on the book. So because the book is new, when you just go to Amazon and type in series colony Cavalier, which is the name of the book, it doesn't come up. You have to click books and then put in the name series colony Cavalier. And it comes up as like two or three, but it's been bestseller for four weeks and it's been kind of flirting in and out of that. So it's done really well. There's a huge demand for the book. And a lot of people, I've gotten some really great reviews and people contact me almost every day telling me that they love the book and thank you for writing it kind of thing. So that's there. It's all on TonyRodriguez.com, but it is findable on Amazon under Series Colony Cavalier. Okay. and just I think I covered on, everything. Yeah. And spell Rodriguez just for people, just to be clear. Sure. So it's Tony, T-O-N-Y, R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E-S as in Sam at the end, not a Z or a Q it's Tony Rodriguez.com. So it's a, the Portuguese version variant of it. And that's, okay. that's how and that came not about. Like one-on-ones anymore, right? I do. I do con- oh, consultations, do but too. I, what it is, I can't keep up with them all. I still I have know. people that I can't get back with. And I so I, I charge now for that. Yeah. And, and, and what it does is it kind of weeds out. Cause there've been a few people that were kind of just pulling my leg in the beginning and, you know, that kind of messed with me because it was free. So I put a, charge there and it kind of weeded that out and it's i put a lot of time into this this is like every weekend for the last six years i've been doing interviews or consultations or research or one thing or another every single weekend and so and you also have a full-time job to survive <laughs> and a family that i take care of yes. exactly and so yeah i um i did that and i charge it and you know what it gives it value because if it was all free then people wouldn't have much respect for it and this yeah. is real stuff this is the real deal yeah. And, uh, um, and it's just, also, it just, that's how I pay for the website, you know, and it's really reasonable. You're, you're yeah. Re- well, it's the kind of as minimum as I could go yeah. with that's- a lot of things and it's paying for the website and kind of my time of, you know, giving up Saturdays. So I really am, um, I really am behind the disclosure movement. I feel that people should come forward. I feel that people should talk about this, tell people about what I'm talking about. And I think we need to make it a household name to force it to force disclosure it needs to be normal ufology needs to be normalized and so does the secret space program so yeah that's just a way of perpetuating slowly come down and we're gonna raise up and it's just gonna start being the new norm (laughs) right especially because all these younger generations are getting up to you know or we're as a society once there's a disclosure we are going to radically advance over almost overnight so we're going to have radical advances we're going to be very good very good things are waiting for us Thank you so much. You have such a generosity of spirit and heart and you're incredibly courageous. And I'm glad your life was about love. And I'm going to cry. Thanks, Marilee. Don't cry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Happy tears, touching tears. (laughs) 
so it was a pleasure to get to see you in person and be with you. Thank you so much, love. Thank you. And thank you so much, all you interested listeners. And onward and upward, friends. Bye-bye.